0: bulls gold is delivered to you via the barroom network now in its seventh year of providing podcasts about chicago sports movies and more make sure to subscribe to the barroom network for free and easy downloads of its programming and visit its merchandising store at deepdishtees.com to purchase t-shirts hoodies and mugs now on with the show Welcome to Bulls Gold on the Barroom Network. I'm Salim Sutterwala, And as always I'm joined by Edward show Jr. Hey Ed, how's it going today? How's your uh, Saturday uh, afternoon
1: uh, going right man, now? Man, it's uh, it's been it's been going all right man uh back after a few weeks again but uh yeah we're uh I'm hanging in there doing alright uh how about you?
0: Doing pretty well you
1: know just
0: uh Matt. my, my my mental space is like as high as I've ever been um I'm yeah. in uh you know like I can be telling you I'm gonna keep active, been doing my workouts been taking care of my place, like making sure I keep keep it clean so I don't let like anything bad happen here <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, I've been
1: you're On the Brolic plan right now, man. About to <laughs> <laughs>
0: about
1: to get them weights in, man. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: yeah, man. I feel feels good, man. It feels good. It that e- extra boost of energy for sure. Um, but yeah, there's it's been a, it's been a kind of a lull as far as bulls basketball is concerned. I mean, I, I've been I've been getting hype from the Pat Williams uh workouts that he's been going, that like workout tour that he's been going out of DeMar, then you see him working out with Paul George. And then you see him doing those pickup runs with the Cavs players and just kind of like, uh, like doing that step back on Mobley. And, uh, then you see Io looking like a freaking like machine, like he looks jacked as hell. Uh, yeah. so all that stuff, yeah. you know, yeah. watching those, little, yeah, those little things with then and DeMar, just, you know, dropping buckets in the drew league every, every other day, just going and giving yeah. dudes, dudes yeah, that, that kind of, I mean. you know, <laughs>
1: That's, yeah, that's like to yeah. see, like man. Right now, like we just need some, just need some hope. You know, just need a little bit of uh, some flashes of upside to get us talking a little bit, and you know, maybe uh, going into the season, you know, we'll get to see a little bit more of that. You know, we'll get to see Project Pat unleash, and maybe there's a, you know, maybe we'll get to see a little bit of a breakout. Who knows? But
0: yeah, know. for sure. And you know, we we have a, a, a great team on the, uh, on the, in the WNBA uh, city, uh, the Chicago sky, they are going to be starting their second push for a back-to-back championship in like four days. Um, you know, we, we, we want to get some conversation on that and get a little bit uh, talk on the bulls as well. Uh, someone that I've followed a mutual follow of mine uh, for a little bit. He does a great job. Covering the uh, Chicago Bulls on regal dot for the regalradio.com. dot com, he does the Phoenix Suns for uh, Valley of the Suns, and then he actually covers the Chicago Sky themselves and the WNBA for Nuts and Bolts Sports. Uh, it's my pleasure, you know, bringing on Stephen Garner. Stephen, uh, thank you so much for joining us, man. We're we're so happy to finally get you on.
2: Ah, no doubt, it's been a long time coming, but. I appreciate the opportunity, man. Peace and blessings to everybody. Thank you for having me. No, for sure, for sure.
1: Sure, yeah. You work hard, man. Like, you covering all the teams right now. That's what it sounds like.
2: (laughs) Man, you just running up up these deposits, man. Just trying to get to where, you know, (laughs) keeping everything aligned with these desires of mine. Just keep it rolling. (laughs)
0: Hey, man, that's how you can do it. Keep grinding, and then that opportunity will come for sure. Um, But, yeah, let's – let's get into some basketball conversation. So we'll, we'll start out with the sky first, because obviously, you know, they have an important, important um, a month or so coming up where, you know, they're trying to uh, make history again by, you know, repeating as champions. Um, and a lot of the things that they do are, are really unique is like, they don't have a dominant score per se, like, when you look at their, but their points like as far as points per game are concerned, I think Kalia Cooper is like maybe thirteenth in the league. But they're a very like um, team that does a lot of great ball movement, obviously led by uh, Vandersloot, who's like arguably one of the best point guards to ever lace them up in general. Um, so obviously, you get a lot of you know team solid team play and a lot of motion offenses and things like that. So. Looking at their passing, like do you do you consider them maybe as the best passing team in WNBA history, or like do, where would you rank them when you can look at that uh, as far as that facet of their game?
2: So when you look at when you look at the Chicago Sky, of course you have the initial names like Candace Parker and Courtney Vandersloot that come to mind. i um, just thinking about from an offensive perspective for them. And that's two of the best playmakers in the W, even at, even till this day. And if you're looking at the grand scheme of the W in that 26 years, uh, those are two of the two of the best playmakers and consistent and efficient playmakers that the women's game has ever seen. Um, if you zoom out a little bit more and you look at the likes of Emma Miesem, uh, I spent a lot of time just kind of on the soapbox speaking to her, trying to bring people to you know understanding just how much of a talent she is. You add her to the dynamic this season and the passing and the playmaking and just the overall offensive versatility for the team has taken even greater steps than it was at last season. And then you add to that the underrated passing ability and playmaking abilities of Allie Quigley, who's so much more than just a shooter, and Kalia Copper. That's all five of the starters that I just named right there. And all five of them are capable of just making passes and making a good to great play or just making a great play in general with a well-timed pass. Uh, within the Florida offense or in their read and react. So just because they have so many different options within their starting lineup, they're ranked first in assists again for the second season in a row at 24.2, up from where they they were last season, and first at 21.8. You just look at all of the talents meshing together. Yes, I would definitely say they're the best passing team in W history, and it's because they have five players in that starting lineup that are all capable of making any type of play that needs to be made. So to answer that question, absolutely.
1: So when you look at the this starting, this starting lineup for the Sky, like going into the playoffs, do you think that they are the most formidable lineup in the WNBA right now? Or do you think that there's another team that is probably a little bit stronger? Like maybe you would look at potentially the aces.
2: Oh, that's always a tough question to ask. Um, are we talking starting lineup specifically or are we talking about the entire rotation? Let's
1: just like let's just go with the starting lineup. Like I know the Aces have a really good like starting lineup as well. So do you think that they have, you know, with that, that passing threat that they have, do you think that they are the most like formidable starting lineup in the WNBA when it comes down to it?
2: Yeah, I would say yes, the sky have the most formidable starting five and it's because of the all encompassing Skill set and array of skills and how the skills and dynamics mesh together for them. They have so much, so much offensive versatility that their offense, a lot of times, it looks unpredictable and it's unpredictable because they can go with their set plays or they can go with their flow. Which I spoke with Candace Parker about last week. How like they run sets is what she said, but she said at the same time they play just a lot of basketball, like just read and react. Okay, I'm gonna go over here. I'm gonna do this dribble handoff. We're gonna get into our re-screen action because you know they're going under. And then we're going to flow into creating an advantage off of that. And then the ball is going to just ping around off script. We'll get a 45 cut off of the advantage that's been generating. And then we'll get a layup. And it looks like a set play, but it's just all of them just being so cohesive and all on the same page. And um, just looking at those type of things and how even when they transition from an initial set that might get defended well into the off script variety and how they do it so seamlessly without any like stagnation, um, yeah, I would, I would, I would say they have the best and the most viable starting group in the W for sure. Yeah, they're they've been uh,
0: they've been fantastic all year. I mean, I think maybe if anything, part of their team that might be a weakness, and not necessarily weak overall. Like I would say they're probably above average defensively as a team, and that has a lot to do with Candace Parker kind of being that anchor and even carrying them that that high, but. I feel like someone like Courtney Vandersloot, uh, who's improved over the years, um, has kind of gone under the radar, especially this season, as far as her defensive abilities. Um, can, you, can you speak on that a little bit and, and, and talk about how she's improved and how she's adding a better defensive
2: impact on the court for the team? For sure. So, generally speaking, the Sky have one of the, the best defenses in the W. Um, they play one of the more aggressive styles defensively. Um, I know we spent a lot of time in the opening segment talking about the offensive versatility, uh, with the likes of Emma Misaman added to the group. But you can also say the very same thing about the defense having so many different pieces they can plug and play, whether it's at the point of attack as heavy stoppers, uh, whether it's varying coverages and scheme versatility for James Wade to use. Um it's just <laughs> it's just so like you could literally spend like a whole two hours of a, of a podcast just speaking into just how well they function defensively. Uh, a lot of that, of course, is anchored, as you mentioned, by Candace Parker. She's, even at 36 years old, she's still the best hedging big in women's basketball. She's able to do it from sideline to sideline against, whether it's Kelsey Plum and Chelsea Gray, or even someone like Courtney Williams or, you know, Arike and wallit and um, she's able to just get the job done. But speaking uh, specifically to Courtney Vandersloot, yeah, she's still continue to improve. And I feel like, I feel like with Slooty, she's just so she's so cerebral that she's able to, especially at the point of attack when she's gotten other guards to start uh, to start sets defensively. She's able to just think the game through inversely and just think about what she would do in any given scenario as a as a point guard and just flip that and begin to counter and take away advantages. And she just does it so consistently. She has very quick hands. Um, and, yeah, she, she's like the the head of the snake as far as getting things rolling from the point of attack and containing the ball uh, on the defense. So, so yeah, you were very apt in mentioning how much she continues to improve. And when the spotlight gets as biggest, you know, she's there to make a play on both sides of the ball as well.
1: Do you think there's like a – like in the playoffs, there's always teams always try to find some sort of weakness, even if there's, you know, a really sharp team defensively or, you know, offensively, whatever. So when you look at the sky's defense, if you had the if you had to single out one weak point that teams could really zero in on in the postseason, what would that be?
2: So I think we've seen, and there's two there's two or three specific things that come to mind with me um, when you ask a, a great question like that one. The first one being a counter to an aggressive defense is being able to play advantage basketball offensively. I like, guess you have to go off script because they're going to take you out of your initial, your initial sets. Mm-hmm. But if you have the plug-and-play type players that understand spacing and know how to counter that aggressive defense by teams putting two on the ball and – uh, what we saw recently uh, in this in this first time that they've lost back to that games against the Seattle Storm on Tuesday and then the Aces on Thursday uh we saw both of those two teams either keep them out of the uh either force them into rotations consistently with ball movement which is what the Storm did and flash into the high post outside of um the the high hedging and then trapping that they do at the above the um, three point line and then let their playmakers like were in for the Storm and of course Brianna Stewart and and Tina Charles uh, make plays out of that, whether it's making a play for themselves or getting the ball to um, plus one spots um, on the second side and just generating offense from that way and consistently keeping the defense in rotation. Um, That's what the Storm did, and that that was the formula for them. I think they had like 62 points in the paint, which Mm -hmm. is an unheard of amount for the Sky to give up in general, regardless of who the opponent is. Uh, So that was kind of like a telltale sign with that game. And then for the Aces – um, they have some of the quicker guards and more dynamic guards in terms of playmaking and ball handling. And they were able to kind of get around that initial hedge in the two-on scenario. And that's automatically going to generate the advantages. Now you're playing four-on-three behind that two-on-the-ball um, scenario. And of course, when you have playmakers like that and then they have shooters that were knocking down shots as well, that can kind of rein in on you. So they were able to keep them in rotation off of their off of their playmaking um, specifically with the ball rather than with the pass like the Storm did. So I would say having... Having teams that can exploit that specifically in a, in a postseason setting, especially, again, in series, that's one thing. Another thing that I will also say is um, with the Aces even more specifically, the, the Sky had a tougher time containing the ball, which is something that they usually never have an issue with, um, and containing um, Kelsey Plum, Chelsea Gray, and even Jackie Young, who was able to get high in the second and third quarter. Um, So, I would say ball containment is another thing. I don't think that's as pressing as um, teams being able to counter their aggressive defense, but just being able to contain the ball in general is another thing. And then the last thing being rebounding. Uh, Candace Parker has talked about it all season. Uh, She felt like her most important asset to the team this season was her ability to rebound, but you have to have more than just one specific rebound, especially when you're trying to repeat. Um, So, being able to end those defensive possessions where they get a stop and just being able to corral the rebound consistently to the offense, I would say those are the three, hmm. three biggest things that I would suggest anyone kind of watch for in terms of checking their temperature from the game to game in these playoffs.
0: So what would you say, you know, you talk about the obstacles and, and the things that they need, you need to keep an eye on. Um, as far as other teams are concerned, and maybe even other things within the team itself, within the sky, um, as far as obstacles are concerned, like I know the Sun are a, a big – team that to look for as far as when you're trying to get out of, uh, back into the finals, um, on this, on this long trip that, you know, fight the thing. And obviously this season, it's, it's not going to be the one and done anymore. It's going to be an actual series mm-hmm. every, every round, uh, which should, should mm-hmm. be a lot more fun now, a lot more competitive, especially when you're going against in series, those little kind of battles start forming the little chippiness can start. That makes it, that makes it a little bit more fun too. So Mm-hmm. Uh, what what would you say, that, like I said, you know, the biggest obstacle in, as far as the East is considered to get back in the finals for this guy? Um, and then, yeah, just uh, speak on that a little bit.
2: So to answer the first part of your question, specifically pertaining to the Connecticut Sun, that's a very formidable team. They've been consistent in terms of a contender realm in the W for pretty much the entire tenure of their head coach, um, Scott Miller. Um, so just looking at, Looking at that team specifically, um, they, as far as playing against the Sky, they don't pose as a as a threat in my opinion. Uh, if, we, if we flash back to last season to get to the finals, the Sky had to upset them um, mm-hmm. as the as the lowest seed in the playoffs, and they did that in a rather comfortable fashion. It was a five game series, and they won it um, in in four games. They were able to close it out. Um, I think they they won the first game in like double overtime, and then they lost game two, and then they won game three and four to close it out. Um, so, looking back there and then looking at the regular season series for this season as well, they swept that one 4-0. Um, so, that's seven of the last eight games that they played. The Sky won and won rather handily. I don't think they're a threat. Um, the Sun have their own issues offensively more than anything, which is having, first of all, floor spacing. Um, they don't have as many shooters or at least shooters in a playoff setting where defenses are going to actually want to close out to them and unclog the paint. So, that's going to be like an issue, especially going against the Sky And then the way they've been using their their reigning MVP, Jonquel Jones, has not been ideal to me. She's had a lot of games where she's taking single digit shots, and I don't know if they plan on unleashing her come playoff time and philosophy or what, you know, what have you. But I just think overall, like that team is solid, but I don't think they pose enough of a threat in a in a series format to to scare the Chicago sky. Um, Looking looking across the rest of the W as far as teams that I feel like might be able to. to, to upend the sky in any way, I feel like the Washington Mystics aren't getting enough attention for how strong of a team they are. Yeah. They have a lot of veteran presidents. They have the most winning coach in WNBA history in Mike Tebow over there. Um, they won the championship, I believe, in 2019. So they still have remnants from that specific team um, with the team now, along with new talents like Shakira Austin, who should get a lot of attention for rookie of the year, um, behind Ryan Howard, who should be the eventual winner. Um, they have Ariel Atkins over there, who's one of the best two-way players, but especially defensively, and then shooting the ball from deep. Um, on the other hand, they have one of the best point guards, Natasha Cloud. Former Sky player, Elena Deledon, over there. She's a killer and some, as long mm-hmm. as she stays healthy. Um, so, just, like, looking at looking at teams like that, as well as the Seattle Storm, of course, we just saw beat the Sky, as well as um, the Las Vegas Aces. I um, was the pick between those between, like, that group of three teams, I would probably say the Aces pose, pose the most threat to this guy. But at the same time, I feel like the Sky will even take them on because the, the Aces have issues with depth and the Sky are as deep as any other team in the W at the moment. Um, so I feel like in a, in a series format, when you get past that first game, that's gonna that war of attrition is going to start laying on them more than it would for the Sky. So, honestly, I feel like the Sky is going to repeat. Um, they have some little kicks that they're ironing out from the last two games. They lost their first 1st first back-to-back losses uh, of the season this past week as we get to the finish line. But the overall general sense from the team is that they're not panicking at all. They're really tapped into what they're doing. So I really don't think they, they have a threat to worry about too much, per se. But I think who could push them to the brink most in order would be the Las Vegas Aces and then the Washington Mystics and then the Seattle Storms. I do, really quick on the same
0: the playoffs. So you do you think we are destinedly headed towards a, a aces versus sky finals? Like that's gonna be like probably what you see happening.
2: So initially, if you would have asked me a week ago, I would have said yes without any hesitation. But what caused me to pause is the um, I spoke to the the depth issues with the aces, and they they're gonna be without De'Ara Hansen. Um, one of the reigning six women of the six players of the year. Uh, she's won two of the last three, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they put her in the starting lineup recently as they've had like a coaching change and the overall philosophy change. Um, they're going to be without her for about two to four weeks or so while she's dealing with, the, with I believe, a knee injury uh, or a quad injury, excuse me. So while they're, while they're without her, it's going to be like a, a high level of variance in terms of who they have to plug and play in place of her. Uh, so I'm not sure exactly how how well they'll be able to function and you know fill in in that spot, but if I had to put my money on it, yeah, I would still say we're we're lined up to see an Aces Sky um in the finals this season.
1: That's gonna be a, that'd be a really good series too. Um, Man. You you talked about you talked about how the sky's depth really just gives them more of an advantage, like in these series. So like, who would you say coming off the bench is going to like be the most instrumental part of the rotation in terms of like depth and in terms of like bench production to keep this team really sharp?
2: That's a great question. And even before I answer that, I would like to say that the sky have two of the, however you want to rank it, two of the four best six women, Six players coming off the bench. Um, they have two of them. So just speaking to that depth, having two players of that starting caliber uh, to bring in as quote-unquote reserves or super subs, um, that just speaks volumes to just, you know, the level of functionality that they're operating there right now. Um, and speaking to that, last season, this guy won the championship with Azari Stevens as their starting center next to Candace Parker. Azari came up with, a, I don't know how many just – instrumental and impactful moments on the defensive end of the floor. And she she was also able to flash plenty um play of her potential on the offensive end and showing our versatility, being able to do things like take players off of um off the dribble, off of closeouts as a center and space the floor and take the low man out of place. Um and just have that overarching dynamic. So take that and them having her on the bench this season in place um uh, with Emma Mison starting her and having Z come off the bench. I think she's in for a bigger playoff um, playoff performance from start to finish than she had even last season. Like, yes, the volume of minutes might not be there compared to what she played last season. Her usage might be down, but her efficiency and her effectiveness on the game is going to be – it's going to be a problem. And there's only really, like, one team that can match that as far as in a playoff setting being the Connecticut Sun with Brianna Jones, who's most likely going to win the sixth player of the year this year. Um so just bringing it back to Z, um, I think she's the one. She's the one to focus on coming off the bench. But that's not to that's not to undermine the um, defensive impact, especially that Rebecca Gardner is going to bring off the bench. That's another player that they brought in this season. Um, she's just been. <laughs> she's a menace. She's one of the top five perimeter defenders in the W, and she's able to get it done as a as a wing stopper as well as at the point of attack, and just take away players and take away complete size of the ball with the way she plays on defense. Uh, so I would say Z and Rebecca and then also Julie Alomar, who's great as a high level replacement guard for Courtney Anderson. And the minutes that she's um the minutes that she needs a, a reserve or a quick a quick breather or even a play with Courtney and take her off the ball a little bit. Um, the dynamics that Julie brings and the way that those three players mesh in with the starting lineup and make lineup combinations and add so much versatility to that yeah, it's,
1: it's, a, it's a lot. It's a lot, but Azarek would be the one that I would focus on most off the bench. Let me, let me ask you this real quick too. Um, mm-hmm. like what, so what happened to, to Dana Evans as the season progressed? Because she started out like really promising, had like a few pretty big games. And, uh, I remember we, we had a, we had a pod about it and, uh, we were talking, uh, about how promising she was looking. Uh, but you know, our, it, it seemed like her role decreased, like her production slipped, like didn't get that same type of potential breakout from her. She was looking like she could be a pretty instrumental part of the uh, the bench. What what happened to her as the season progressed? It kind of uh, you know took that down some.
2: So the, the 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 vibe that I get from that entire situation is that it seems like Coach Wade has been more apt to having Julie Alama, who was previously a starting point guard in the W. Before she went overseas and then came back, um, he's been a little more apt to place her into into that rotation, uh, into that top eight. Kind of taking what the minutes that were us earlier in the season, uh, and it's it's not without good reasoning because Julie has a more all around game, and even more specifically, when she the way that he structures his, his lineups throughout the rotation, having a player that's able to kind of replicate the same style of play that Courtney Landers does is more of a traditional point guard. And being able to facilitate from uh from the from the initiation standpoint of the offense, it kind of bows a little more well and messes a little better with the with the talents of a Kalia and a Candace Parker and a an Allie Quigley. Um, mm. So kind of like a like a Spider-Man meme type of relationship between <laughs> Courtney and their trans and transition is from Courtney to Julie. They have a lot of a lot of similarities. Um but it's I don't think it's anything that Dana did in a negative sense. I think it's just more of a Kind of like a fit thing, if you want to say that. Um, that that's kind of had Julie usurp her in the uh, in the rotation. But I do want to also take this time, since we're speaking to Dana, to shout her out because she's remained the absolute constant professional through all of this. Mm-hmm. She's usually like the first player up off the bench during timeouts, after a big run and run over and congratulate teammates, including even if it is Julie. Um, they're always having conversations on the sideline, talking about coverages. Um, She's congratulating her. Um, there's no, there's no like mal. There's no negative energy in any sense of the word from from Dana in this whole deal. And on top of that, she's also stay ready. So when she is when she is um, giving minutes, she's always ready and she's always having some type of impact on the game, whether it's just upping the pace or bringing some full court pressure into um, like defensively, just doing doing like the little things, getting her hands on passes and deflections and things like that. Um, so she's making the most of the minutes that she is given, but it's no secret to the rest of the W that she punches well outside of the box of the role that she's in in this current state with the Chicago Sky.
1: No doubt,
0: no, for sure, for sure. Um, let, let's talk a little about Kalia Copper. Last uh, uh, playoffs, she had she had a fantastic playoffs, and obviously uh, mm-hmm. went on to win the WNBA Finals MVP. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think, oh, what improvements she's made this year? With the improvements she's made this year, um, that she's definitely in for another strong performance, and she's probably someone to look at again to repeat as uh, as a finals MVP.
2: Yeah, yeah. Listen, man. Listen, Kai. Kai is special. She is. She is. She is special. She's a gifted athlete. But even past the athleticism, like looking at her game from last season to this season. Uh, and I, I spent a lot of time on Twitter kind of bringing, bringing attention to just how her game has evolved. She has so much more patience with her drives. Like like last season, she was great in kind of discerning when to shoot and when to drive based off of what what type of closeout she was receiving and what type of action generated for the advantage for her. This season, fast forward into it, She's grown in her playmaking in, in terms of processing speed and understanding what the defense is doing and her vision to be able to locate and make plays off of the advantages that she creates as a pressure point. Um, she's also been able to flip that, and with her drives and creating for herself, she's been more patient and using slight hesitations or even waiting before she goes from, um, goes from slow to fast or changing speeds to generate advantages. She just becomes so much more nuanced in how she approaches the dynamic that is her driving ability, and you can see it playing out when she does, like, hesitations and things like that. And, the like, when you slow things down, you see the advantage generated from, like, the separation she gets, And it's also allowing her to get cleaner looks at the basket as well as she matures, um, which is a byproduct of her being able to have a career-best field goal percentage at the rim this season. Um, I think she's shooting – I have it in my note. She's at 62% at the rim. And for somebody that's just at, at the rim at such a frequency, like a volume-wise, if she's at it, that's 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 killing. She's able to play the glass extremely well. You can tell that she's been really paying attention to the fine details, watching film, and just understanding, you know, the game and, and how teams, you know, try to play her. Uh, she's in a career-high 15.9 points per game. She's on 40 48.3% from the field. And another thing that she's at a career best in is at the three-point line shooting on a higher volume and shooting at a higher uh, efficiency at 36.4%. So she's just – like her all-around game, like the the whole – like the general feel of how Kai is approaching the game is that she's peaking. And she's still just now scratching the surface of what she's going to become. So I think she's going to add a mirror game to counter how teams try to take away her drives. And she's going to add more soft touch finishes like floaters and things of that nature to kind of round out her entire dynamic. So, yeah. Khalil Copper is <laughs> she is a she is a handful she's also a player that I had the pleasure of asking Sue Bird questions uh during the all star game and she mentioned Khalil Copper as one of the players that she feels like is gonna continue to break out and, and it's still just not beginning to understand you know her just what her true potential is you know so, so yeah she's in store for she's in store for something something big again,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah we're excited we're like last off season or not off season mm-hmm. uh postseason, uh everything she was doing, it was just and she had that chip on her shoulder too. She was mm-hmm. you know, she was kinda talk she was talking her shit too. And it was like Star Philly. Energy Yeah, it's a really energizing <laughs> energizing that Sky team and I I love players mm-hmm. like that. Like players that really like will get like, you know, physical out there and like really will will let mm-hmm. you know who they are <laughs> i love mm-hmm. that. i love like mm-hmm. like i know people like the humbleness too but like i like the people that say you know what i'm this person and i'm this good and i'm gonna let you know i'm this good um well mm-hmm. you, you're backing it up for sure like you're talking but you're backing <laughs> up your talk and i love that i just i love players that do that like i always i always tell people like i love that's why i gravitated toward like on the bull side guys like joe noah jimmy Butler. Like these guys, mm-hmm. they talk their talk, and obviously my favorite player of all time, MJ. Uh, he mm-hmm. he was not shy about letting people know who he was, right, So that mm-hmm. um, yeah, those type of players always like I I I love those players, and that's why I'm like I really like Copper. She's like she's that person yeah. too. Yeah.
2: yeah, and she and we didn't even we didn't even mention anything about what she does on the defensive end. Like she's such a pressure point on offense. Like at the same time, she takes great exception to you know whoever the matchup is on defense for. She's doing things off the ball and on the ball. And she's backing up that same energy she brings on offense to the defensive side. And um, like she if, if I was to give like NBA fans a player comp that for people that don't really watch the W that much, she has a lot of Iverson and Dwayne Wayne, like young Dwayne Wade to her game. to where she's able to like change speeds and she's always a threat to the basket on a catch instantly. You can like you can like watch the second side of for defense, like the weak side, watching them trying to load up. And as they're trying to load up, she's so quick to get to her spot that they're still late. And they're getting there, like, rotating early, and they're still late. Like, she's, she just, she's just – she's just – she's an unbelievable talent and athlete, and she's still, like, just barely scratching the surface for what she's to come.
1: Yeah, her uh, – she, she's definitely really, really fun to watch when she's on mm-hmm. – when she's on the court, man. And, yeah, she, mm-hmm. she's just a complete difference maker. Uh, another difference maker – you know, obviously on the sky, Candace Parker, and, you know, we talked about this before as well, but with, if, if the so what do you think? Like if the sky, let's say the sky do repeat or did they make another really deep run? Do you think that she's going to uh, hang it up? Do you think that's it? Or do you think she's going to come back? Is she still playing at a really high level? I mean, just one of the best ever, like what do you think is in store for Candace Parker's future?
2: (laughs) This question is always tough to answer and you and you set it up the perfect way because like she was just an all-star like starter this season. <laughs> like there's so much there's so much left in the tank. Like who am I to say like how much she really does have in the reserve? But from what I'm seeing on a game to game basis, like her two way impact and like her still getting out on the on a break transition and running, like filling lanes or needing the attacking transitions, like of course, she's not the same athlete that she was five or six seasons ago, but she still seems like she has so much juice. Um, <laughs> she's, just so, she's just so, so good. The game comes so easy to her. Her footwork's still outstanding. Like <laughs> Her mind is still as sharp as ever. It's, it's just beautiful to see her dynamics all like, mesh in one, one specific setting. Um, what she said, like her answer has been consistent all season in that she says she's going to wait until the off season when she goes to her um, – uh, I forgot the name of the bike, the, the type of bike that she has. Uh, one of those popular bikes, um, like the elliptical type machine that you have at home. Yeah. She said when she gets to the off-season, after everything's done and she begins to start off-season workouts, and she's going to see if she can if she can actually like do those workouts, if she can do those and do them like somewhat comfortably to where she's not aching uh, to a ridiculous level the next day. She said will so definitely. Um, that would be like the, the gauging point for her. Um. so she's been consistent with the answer from the preseason to when people asked her throughout the season as well Um, if I had to if I had to give a definite answer I would say if this guy wins she might consider um just kind of leaving out on top Um, and that would be that would be so tough to see because she just like she's been synonymous with women's basketball for, for as long as I've been following <laughs> that goes back to high school and college like and right, right. everything you know like, just to see her – to see her, like, not picking up the basketball would be so weird. Um, so, yeah, I think I think if they repeat as champions, she might decide to um, ride off into the sunset. Uh, I really hope I'm wrong on that, and I hope that she comes back and gets the farewell to it if she deserves. Um, but that's kind of, like, the sense that I feel um, – like I said, I hope I'm wrong. I really yeah. do she, but, uh, but yeah.
0: she also like I think it's also not necessarily her game itself because she her family obligations too. She felt mm-hmm. like after mm-hmm. she had her she had a baby with her wife and mm-hmm. she that's what kind of made her feel emotional, like, oh maybe I wanna, you know, hanging out, with, spend more time with my family because she all and then on top of that, she does a lot of off season stuff with like TNT and I mean, I'm sure mm-hmm. that that full-time gig is waiting for her whenever she wraps, hangs it up, and she's probably one of the best at analyzing the game and in, in general, mm-hmm. like just overall, she's one of the best at, at breaking down the game and teaching. It's funny, like I love when she like teaches Sha- Shaq about the modern game and just kind of breaks down mm-hmm. like how to how to defend a pick and roll and things like mm-hmm. that. And mm-hmm. it's like she just she just kills it every time and I would love like selfishly like I, I want to see like, I want to see her play but then like man I would love to see her on on the sideline, just breaking the game down because I think that's one of the biggest issues in today's uh, modern uh, game in general like Pete did we don't have enough people actually teaching the game we have too many people complaining about the game and not actually teaching the nuances of what's going on out there and that's why sometimes there's a negative opinion about Uh, about the modern game. So I I feel like, you know, in that sense too, like it's both things like, man, I would love to have a more of Candace Parker on the sidelines or on in the studios, um, you know, kind of teaching as well. So yeah, it's, it's tough, man. It's like, you know, like you said, she's she's a Chicago kid Um, growing up in Chicago. She's done great. I mean, I think she's the greatest ever. In my opinion, um, and it, exactly. that's definitely arguable. Yeah, so like, it's tough to see. It's tough to know like what happens, and 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 it's always it's always cool to see your one of your favorite players to go out on top too. So like, that would be pretty cool to see her, you know, win it again and to say, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna hang them up. Yeah, uh, on, you know, on, as I as I did back to back. this on a back, Man, back Yeah, exactly. Especially, and
2: then the other thing. The other thing with Candace, um, like, she always takes time, like you mentioned, with the family dynamic kind of being in the back of her mind, she always takes the time to mention how she just cherishes the moments because her daughter typically rides in the car with her on the yeah. way to games. And she's able to, like, get that pregame experience and seeing her mom warm up and, you know, see her mom mentally preparing the locker room and things of that nature. So, like, all of these little experiences that her daughter isn't able to have just because of, you know, the stature of her mother – um, Candace always takes the time to make sure that she, that she you know brings light to that and just really just cherishes and she says she's spending a lot more time just standing the moment and just kind of seeing the opportunities that it is you know for her daughter and for her family in general. Mm-hmm. No, for sure, for sure. So it will be interesting to see what happens there
0: as far as um, Candice is concerned. But uh, let's let's switch over a little bit about uh, some bulls talk because you know you do cover the the bulls and. Um, there's been a lot of, you know, mixed, I mean, I would to say mixed reactions on the Bulls off season. I think there's been more like concerns about the Bulls off season as opposed to, um, more positive conversation. But, uh, just wanted to get your thoughts like, on a few of the Bulls things, the things the Bulls did this off season. So first let's talk about their draft. Like how did you like how the draft turned out? Um, I, I know Dale and Terry is a type of player that, um, He kind of fits the mold of what A.K. and uh, and Mark Eversley love to get those like long, um, versatile defenders um, that can maybe you know have work on their offensive game, like their like scoring game. That is obviously he. uh, Dalen has a really good passing game. His passing instincts are phenomenal. Um, I kind of compared him to Lonzo in a sense. Uh, has has a style of his game is concerned, uh, more like a really good uh, full court passer, um, good connector in the half court. Um. Obviously, Lonzo had a better volume as far as shooting is concerned. He sh- had proven more in college as as a as a volume shooter, mm-hmm. and then he had to obviously fix his mechanics and the pros. Mm-hmm. But even like defensively, they have a lot of the same uh, uh, dynamics. Uh, what What were your thoughts on on Dale and Tay the Bulls? Were you surprised there, or did you think that maybe they could have gone elsewhere? Or that's about like you know it, it makes sense who they took.
2: No, nah, I think I think the Dylan Terry pick was it was extremely cynical. and it, it just especially with the with the a with the team and in the in the I was about to say in the sky <laughs> and the Bulls need yeah. more even, <laughs> and the Bulls need more more wing depth like not putting guards at the wing having traditional wings like of that stature and that and that build being there to to play those minutes there with Patrick Williams and Zach Levine and Demar Derozan. Uh, so I feel like the Daylon Terry pick was very apt. And I like 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 you mentioned, his passing instincts are definitely there. It'll be interesting to see what his process of speed is like translating to the NBA. And right. the teams throw different schemes at him uh, in terms of you know the exotic defenses. Um, and kind of tugging at tugging at his strengths and everything that they've seen from college. But my favorite thing about Terry is just his competitive nature. Like they say, he's a competitor in everything he does, and my, even more so than being competitive about everything, and being competitive on the defensive end of the floor. Like the NBA, like the WNBA, we just got done talking about um, a lot. A main reason I think this is gonna repeat is because of their front court depth, and the front court depth is like the biggest thing in the in the W and the NBA. It's a wing league, and right. it's, as as we see with the as we see with the Los Angeles Clippers. They have a stockpile of wings that are all 6'7", oh, 6'10", yeah. and they all have wide-ranging wingspans and different dynamics that they gain to the floor. They can literally throw out an all-wing small ball lineup and probably feasibly <laughs> compete in the playoffs <laughs> with that for stretches. Um, of course, the Bulls don't have that many pieces yet, but adding a piece like Dale and Terry uh, via your draft compensation uh, makes, a, makes a lot of sense. And then just being able to invest in his player development and trying to get him on that same trajectory as we've seen what they've done with Ayo DeSumo in his first season, as well as Pat Williams, and kind of seeing like the the upward trajectory that they're having with their careers, um, how how promising they are, I, I, I like the, I like the Terry pick a lot, and I would like to see how he continues to ascend uh, past what you know the expectations that we might have for him are right now versus what he'll be going into you know the second season and moving forward.
1: Yeah, we uh, we just got talk we just got done talking about how much like well, really like the personality and the swagger that Kalia Copper mm-hmm. brings to the sky, mm-hmm. how much that really just energizes that team. And I think Dalen Terry has a little bit of that when, you know, we talk about how great of a teammate he is, like he plays really hard, like, you know, it, it's a meme now, but, you know, he's got that dog in him whatever, whatever. And, yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, it, you know that's, that's what stood out to me about the pick. So, um, mm-hmm you know, I I think the shooting, hopefully that can come around, but it seems like he does a lot of things really well. And he has that versatility that uh, is really valued in this league and he can fit into a bunch of lineups and doesn't really need the ball to necessarily add value as a player. So I'm, I'm really encouraged by that. Um, It it definitely was one of the, I think uh, for me, at least one of the peaks of the off season on that note what did you think about the the Bulls offseason? Uh, th- th- there was a lot of frustration from fans because it, it felt like we were um, kind of like confined to a box because of the refusal to really operate in the luxury tax. And so, you know, get Drummond. they re-signed uh, derrick jones uh goran Dragic. so not really the type of moves that you would want from a team that you're hoping is trying to compete with the 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 heavy hitters of the eastern conference so to say so mm-hmm. like what do you did you think that the bulls could have done more do you think that maybe this all season was fine as it is like what, what did you think of just the general? you know, approach and your views on kind of the limitations that the Bulls may have had this off season.
2: That's a great question. And my rebuttal, my rebuttal to any questions pertaining to, you know, things like roster construct and things like that, especially when you, when you bring context to it and mm-hmm. why the Bulls season finished the way it did, you know, with the injuries and, you know, all of those things. I always bring the question and I like to play devil's advocate with people and counter like, what did you think they should have done? based on the, the cap situation, based on, you know, it being a question mark as to how good this team truly is because of the injuries and, you know, the players that they didn't have the access to in the playoffs. Um so me, my answer to that, I feel like they did they did what they needed to in terms of kind of filling in on the um on the margins mm-hmm. and trying to run it back and test again to see what what this team, what this team's true ceiling is when all of their pieces are in the main rotation. Having Lonzo Ball back makes a huge difference, especially in the playoff setting when the game slows down. You need that traditional point guard in the half court to run your offense. Um, especially, and then add to that with the defensive versatility that he brings. Um, same thing with Alex Caruso. Caruso gets hurt in the playoffs. And, you know, he also has a he also has a higher demand as far as what they need him to do defensively because Lonzo Ball's not there. And then you add to, you add to that, I assume we're not playing as much as a lot of people felt like he needed to in the playoffs um, just because of, you know, minutes and Billy's uh, short leash with them and things like that. And then Patrick Williams being his first playoffs, it was like a learning experience in a sense. So all of those things considered, I don't feel like they needed to do much this offseason besides just get their players healthy, get their players healthy, running back. Uh, they were they were in first place for how long last season, like two and a half months when everybody was in the in the rotation to help you? like what more can you ask for of course, it's a small sample size you want to see what that looks like in the playoff setting, but you gotta warrant yourself the opportunity to see that without you know up ending the ship and you know not truly seeing what this group has at the core. so I feel like they did what they did. I do feel like I didn't want them to kind of dip into a luxury tax and go for more um more more players they can add to that wing versatility um, on both ends of the floor to kind of help with Patrick Williams and take the load off of Zach Levine defensively. Nonetheless, I can't complain. Like if I if you were to tell me that they were just running it back and they added at the margins with with Joshik and uh, and Drummond and bringing back DJJ, I would have said, eh. I mean, okay. We still got to see what the team potentially has, you know, from what they showed last season. So let's run it back. Let's see what we got.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think for me, though, the biggest frustration is their inability to want to use the full mid-level because of ownership. Like, I feel like if they had the, you know, if Acme had the, uh, which is uh, AKA and Mark obviously had the ability to use that full mid-level exception, maybe they could have added shooting because that's a big the weakness for the Bulls shooting—they don't have consistent shooting. Obviously, there's guys that could maybe potentially keep improving, and then you know that makes a difference. Obviously, Patrick Williams and a low volume has shown that he can you know hit that three ball, but we need that we need that volume to go up. Um, Io showed like a decent spot up shooting again, but the volume it needs to go up. It needs to be more consistent and more fluid. Um, Kobe, who's shown to be a good shooter at times, he gets through his lulls though. It just, like I said, and then we're starting the season off and I almost, I don't know when we're going to expect Lonzo Ball to be back. Like we always talk about as a, as a fan base, if healthy, like, man, this team is never healthy. Like they're always injured. I can't remember a Bulls team ever that's ever been healthy. Um, Mm -hmm. And like I said, we're starting out the season with our probably arguably our most one of our most, not arguably, he is one of our most important players as far as when you talk, talk about shooting, when you talk about his defensive impact, you mm-hmm. talk about his his just high feel for the game, making the right plays, right reads on offense, and getting guys easy looks. Like, you're missing that guy start season, and who knows how long he'll be out. They're saying he's progressing, but they've been saying he's progressing since like last March. Mm-hmm. And, and everybody and we're still not sure if he'll start the season. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I just feel like that's my biggest frustration. It's not with not with the front office. It's with ownership, not being more committed, mm-hmm. like you said, to pay the tax and using mm-hmm. that part of the margins. And then also, you know, even letting that traded player exception expire. I mean, I grant a lot of teams do let it expire, but the Bulls always let it expire. Uh, and mm-hmm. they don't use these little mm-hmm. assets that they have uh, to really, you know, add to the team one way or another. So yeah, those are, I guess, for me, like I said, those that's are the real frustrations, and I wish that they had done more in that sure. regards.
2: I did. I definitely felt like they should have addressed shooting, even if it was just adding one or two players. Like the two names that I had in mind, um, as I, as I, as I spoke with for um, for Edwards' question and asking, um, asking what the Bulls should have did. My counter is like, what were they able to do? I felt like they they were in position to attract a player the likes of Gary Harris, a versatile wing that showed that he can do things, plural, on the playoff stage, especially with him being healthy. He was healthy for the majority of last season. He had an unbelievable season as far as a, a two-way wing, uh, specifically from that shooting guard, Small Force, but uh, for the Orlando Magic last season. And he also, his, his shooting came back. He didn't shoot that well in his last season with the, uh, the Denver Nuggets, and that's kind of part of the reason why they saved him out and traded for, uh, for Aaron Gordon. And they didn't really have any issues giving him up, so they would like to have him back now, uh, from everything that I've heard. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, his, his shooting resurfaced. And he would have been a type of player, especially shooting specifically from the corners where he's going to just lighting it up last season. He would have been a perfect sports basing versus our wings for the Bulls to add into that rotation. Um, and on top of him, another Spartan dog, I'm a Michigan State guy. And it's just a coincidence that both of these guys went there. But for Brent Forbes, Brent Forbes is not going to give you that much defensively, so he can't hold his own when he has capable defenders around him. Um, but offensively, he will be able to bring a dynamic of off-screen and off-ball movement that the Bulls' offense desperately needs, in my opinion, to break up, like, the mundaneness and the predictability of getting the pick-and-roll. Okay, the pick-and-roll's out there, and I'm just going to go isolation, or I'm just going to go mid-post-touch for DeMar DeRozan and we'll see what we get from there. Like, that works. But it, but in a playoff setting, you need to add more unpredictability to your to your attack, and that kind of blends into one of the gripes that I have with Billy Donovan because I feel like, like yeah, a lot of the players don't shoot at a volume like Selena mentioned, but at the same time, I feel like some of that is the concept on offense. Like if they generated more ball movement and did it as a point of emphasis consistently, that'll lead to open shots because they had the pressure points that you needed with the Rosen Levine ball and um uh, Vooch being able to all be able to not only just score, but playmate off of their threat of scoring. And, you know, we have those pressure points in the playoff setting, just being able to have those guys generate looks for you is what you need. So I feel like if they kind of – if Billy was to be more open with his concept on offense and uh, enabling more ball movement, I think, and player movement especially more than anything, I think that would allow for the offense to be more free-flowing and generate better looks and a better shot profile.
1: See, I I agree with you on those points. And I agree with you that regardless of, you know, even though it's still frustrating that the team is like clearly confined by ownership and whatever, you know, lack of desire they have for going to luxury tax that everything on this team still hedges on the best players that they have. So it's really going to be up to that, you know, either way. And, you know, the, the, the two wild cards I would say that they have right now are Patrick Williams uh upside and Iota Suma who was a huge surprise last year as a second round pick so we we asked this on the last show uh and it was a pretty good uh discussion so I, I want to get your take on it too. uh who do you think? In terms of breaking out next season, and it doesn't mean they're going to become an all-star or something like that, but just making a noticeable jump in their game, who do you have more confidence in taking that jump? Io would assume we were Patrick Williams.
2: I have more confidence than Patrick Williams, and I say that with no hesitation. And okay. it's, not, it's not because of anything pertaining to I.O. in terms of like an ineptness in- in- or a weakness thing. It's more so uh, opportunity. So with the Bulls, of course, they have a glut of guards, and they added <laughs> they without making any moves from that guard spot. They added Goran Dragic, another well-known veteran, um, to that mix. Um, so I'm 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 struggling to figure out how the minutes are going to be dispersed to where everybody's um, essentially happy with the rotation. Um, Billy's going to have a task on his hands, and then some, being able to you know have a rotation smoothing out to where everybody's being productive and efficient and in a good state uh, mentally with, you know, the role on the team. Um, but for Pat specifically, I picked him because, A, the opportunity, and, B, uh, he just has so much, like, so much raw skill that really hasn't even been tapped into yet. Like, he played, like, what, 16 or 17 games last season and going into the playoffs. And it's like, that's a that's a small sample size. but He did so much and in an increasing manner as each game passed. Like, we started seeing a feel for his playmaking come into the dynamic, uh we saw his uh his rim protection as as like the like the sink man on the weak side of any trapping defenses that the Bulls run and being able to um, also cover up for Hooch when he's in drop. Um just being able to like sort that rim protection from the second side of the defensively. Um and just do so like just do so many different things. Like his three ball started falling with much more frequency. Uh he was finishing at the rim, a lot more self-creation, like getting to the basket and not only just getting there, but actually finishing and generating plays off of that. Um, yeah, Pat, Pat has an extremely, extremely high ceiling. And again, like we talked about in the opening for the Bulls segment of this uh, conversation, it's a wing's lead. And if you can get that type of versatility and production from the wing on both ends of the floor, that's going to be not only just a floor raiser, but also a ceiling raiser if he can get to, to that untapped potential. And I feel like you can't honestly think with the way the Bulls are set up that Pat Williams is going to be viably in that most improved conversation. Uh, from the start to finish, so it's uh so my pick between those two would be Pat Doug for sure
1: yeah he's um his, his i he's it, it's been tough with him like the last couple of years because he he's missed so much time and like really key moments, but you know he's still really young, he's still extremely versatile. Uh, but defensive ability is there. I mean, yeah, athleticism is there and it seems like he wants it. So uh, seeing these like all season, you know, videos of him flashing a little bit is definitely really encouraging. So he's definitely in a better spot to, to break out more so than Ayo. Um, I do like Ayo's chances as well too, though, like Absolutely. we were talking about it a few shows ago and it's just like, you know, he seems to be in a better, he seems to have the advantage of he knows what his game is and it's really just a matter of polishing that every chance he gets. Whereas Patrick Williams is, he's still figuring his game out and, you know, we're trying to see what that's inevitably going to be. But, you know, Patrick Williams has the opportunity to really, you know, flip the the ceiling of what this team could potentially be next season. No
2: doubt.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure, and I think like some of the things you're seeing in Pat's workouts, like we, we talked about with the various things he's been doing, um, I think I think that boot camp, and I mentioned this before in an episode or two, a uh, boot camp workout he had with Demar kind of gave him that baseline on what he needs to, where he needs to be, and what he needs to do. Um, just looking at like his footwork and his handles, like his footwork looked really nice, mm-hmm. the way he's moving laterally. Mm-hmm. Um, Because that's been probably one of his biggest issues, Um, even especially on defense, like his footwork kind of, his feet kind of move a little slower laterally when he's especially trying to defend guys on the perimeter. But his feet look like they're moving better. And then uh, his handles, obviously like someone like the under, between the legs stuff, It's that's extra stuff that's just flashy, whatever. But just kind of look at him having the ball on a string the control that he's showing a little bit better control with his handles, like stuff like that. It's just like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. This guy has been working, working like you see it. And, and it kind of makes you excited. And it's funny. I'm, I, I changed my name on Twitter to Patrick Williams pilled. Uh, <laughs> Cause I'm, I'm there right now, man. Like, you know, I was, I was, like I said, I, I had my complaints about the bulls off season. I was mad but I'm back at the point where it's like, I'm, I'm jonesing for some bulls basketball and like seeing these, you know, (laughs) even though they're just like off season runs, they're like generally don't mean much, but it's just kind of fun seeing these little, you know, nuances and these little, you know, improvements, you know, young guys potentially making and, and having, you know, a, a guy like DeMar, like man, DeMar not to, not to sidetrack here, but, man, DeMar, like, you know, I never I never realized how respected and loved he is around the league. Like, this, like, everyone loves DeMar, like, and thinks very, very highly of him. Like, I always thought, like, I always knew he was a great vet, that he knew his stuff and, and, and so forth. But, man, I never realized that it was at this high of a level where people just really thought of him as this, like, you know, like this guy that they can really go to and just kind of get like really great advice from, and he would be such a big impact. And I think, I think having Demar is going to be like what really changes as far as some of these young guys, the development, because that's been a struggle for the bulls, like the last five years, like not having a really good veteran, like, and no respect, to Thaddeus Young, Thad is a great guy. I love Thad. I wish we had Thad right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's not been in the same levels of battles and the same talent levels as a mm-hmm. DeMar DeRozan has. DeMar has done things in this league that, you know, that granted there have been struggles in the playoffs for him, but that's against LeBron James, not just anyone. <laughs>
2: relevant. <laughs> um, that's so, relevant dimension. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's, he, the things he's doing and the levels he's gotten to, like that's what like these young guys who see is like, Oh, I want to do, that. I want to be an all NBA player. I want to be an all-star. I want to be this guy that just absolutely gets buckets whenever, when, however. Um, So, yeah, I think that's, it's good. And they, and they, they will listen to him more so than they would listen to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially knowing that DeMar, again, I'm rambling here, but knowing that he is that, um, like he's very, very strict and and, and like with his reg- regiment and the things that he does, he's very nuanced and he mm-hmm. takes care of himself the way he does. So, yeah, I'm just – I think that's going to pay a big dividend too. And with Pat, what we see from him this year, that's going to be a, lot, a big part of his improvements for sure.
2: Yeah, I think uh, you said it perfectly, like DeMar's leadership, uh, of course with Iowa as well. But specifically pertaining to pat like it's gonna be it's just gonna prove instrumental, and then you add to that the fact that Pat's been spending time with paul george yeah that's 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 the problem like if you want to – if you look like we again coming back to this being a a, a wings lead, if we look at the natural progression of a lot of young wings taking that next step, the common theme whether they've been at, whether, whether they've been like a like a strong shooter or like a strong defender that next step that they've all taken is coming via adding a handle. Like, a lot of the Mm -hmm. graphs that people had with Jalen Brown in this past offseason was that his handle was a little loose at times. Like, if you get a defender that closes the airspace consistently and makes them, like, dribble through pressure, like, the ball gets a little loose and it starts making his uh, decision-making a little little wonky, you know? So, like, and then you can look at players like Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward got on, came into the league as a shooter, he got a handle, and became an all-star. Um, Jason Tatum, Jason Tatum was always a natural-born scorer. He added more of a handle that unlocked his playmaking. Paul George was a was a lethal shooter coming in. He added a handle and he became an All-NBA player like Kawhi Leonard. Like <laughs> yeah. we can keep we can keep going down a long list of players that took uh, a borderline All-Star, if not perennial All-Star, step to their game by adding that handle. And I feel like the handle and the footwork part of it, spending time with DeMar DeRozan and Paul George is gonna pay just instrumental dividends to Pat Doug, and I really think he's gonna be in that most improved conversation this year.
1: Yeah, we're hoping so. I mean, we we keep talking about it, but the the game <laughs> against Minnesota at the end of last season is kind of like the blueprint for a lot of things that people want to see out of Patrick Williams this year.
2: <laughs> and, and you can't you can't undermine that and say, "Oh, it was the last game that they didn't play all in the starters the X Y Z A B ABC. That's still NBA talent, and that's a playoff team. He was going against players that were in Minnesota's playoff rotation. Yeah, and so, a like,
0: like a guy like a Kogi, who's a pretty good defender. Like he, mm-hmm. he did some work against him, so mm-hmm. it wasn't, it wasn't anything to brush off for sure. Absolutely, absolutely, it's not nothing.
2: That's that's for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and in the playoffs too, I know people like in that game three, people will say, um, you know, that game it was game five. Sorry. Uh, People will say like, "Oh, it was, it was like, oh, they were already lead, and the Bucks just kind of uh, released the gas, but like uh, took the metal of the pedal off the gas, Mm -hmm. but like, look, no, that's still a playoff game, and he was doing good things in a playoff game in a playoff atmosphere, right? So, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I take those things. Obviously, it's it's not everything but there's definitely something to say, Hey, look, if he, that's something there. And then with the offseason work that he's have, he can build from that for sure. No question. No question. I couldn't agree more. 100%. But yeah, Steven doll, oh man, it was so pleasure having you on. Finally. Um, I, I, I've been obviously a fan of everything that you do. Likewise. Um, please let us, oh, thank you so much. Uh, please let our listeners know where they can again, follow your work where they can follow you, what they can expect from you in the future as well.
2: Yeah, well, well, even before I get to that, I want to say thank you again for the opportunity, you know, to spend some time to have a good conversation on your platform. Like I said, I appreciate the work that y'all are doing. So it was an honor for me to even have this time to spend with you guys, uh, like from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for everything, too. As far as my work and things that I have going on, I'm not even going to lie, I got a lot. And it's kind of hard to follow, so I was just, <laughs> I was just saying you can follow me on Twitter at s dot three s s t a s t a y t r u e s d o t three, and in that on my profile I have a link tree with all of the different uh, avenues to see my work. And I'm always doing stuff on Twitter talking about basketball, whether it's the women's game right now or the men's game. Um, posting articles, doing film breakdowns, hopping on podcasts. Uh, hosting spaces, <laughs> literally everything It's just just everything. I love talking hoops, so if you want to have a hoop conversation, whether it's Bulls or Sky, pretending it's them or anybody, like I'm, just everything in basketball, college basketball as well. Yeah, yeah there was a little a little Wi-Fi thing just happening on the web. We good though we here. <laughs> oh, good, No, yeah, you can find you can find all my work on my link tree and my and my my Twitter profile. Uh, so yeah, follow me. I definitely follow back and just have some productive basketball
1: conversation
0: Oh, for sure for sure man like I said it was was a pleasure to talk with you I love talking with different basketball minds uh, just getting the perspective and obviously you're someone that you know I see and I know that does a lot of good work so it was like I said pleasure for us to have you on Um, Edward any final thoughts for you as we wrapping up here
1: yeah, man. Uh again, shout out to Steven, man. Check out his work, man. He's out here grinding, like putting in some serious work, man. So yeah, shout out to you, man. And yeah, great conversation about the sky and the bulls. And uh yeah, we're just uh we're like mid August right now. So we're coming up on probably what, like a month left in the off season where uh, you know, media day and all of that is you know still upon us. So we'll see, you know probably a little bit more news about the bulls, uh, soon, but you know, in the meantime, we do have the WNBA playoffs coming up, so we'll see if the sky can repeat and we'll see if we're going to get some more really good games out of that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's was good basketball on either way.
0: Most definitely, most definitely, but yeah, that's pretty much a wrap for today's show. If you missed any previous episodes, you can find us under The Barroom Network on all major and minor podcast platforms. Thank you again to Stephen uh, Garner for joining us and to list- listeners for tuning in. As always, for Edward Shuler and myself, till next time, we we'll-